You're listening to the sermon audio from Redemption Church. Redemption Church exists to exalt Christ, edify the saints, and evangelize the world for the glory of God. For more information on Redemption Church, just go to redemption.church. Well, good morning. Good to see you all. Thank you for being here as we worship the Lord together. And let me invite you to turn to James chapter 5, verse 1 through 6. James 5, 1 through 6. Uh, it's an exciting, exciting time in our church. Uh, again, we got course seminars starting back up next week with not only two adult classes, but with our uh, children's class for elementary age. That goes from 9 to 10 in the morning. So if you'd like your children to be a part of that, they go through the fruits of the Spirit. That would be a wonderful time. And so be sure to, to come and be a part of that. And again, we have a members meeting tonight. Uh, and so members, we want you and kind of expect you to be there if you can. Uh, but if you're not a member, you're welcome to come and watch and observe and kind of see uh, what the life of the body looks like together. We're excited. We'll be bringing in some new members into our body, as well as just giving some updates on some plans for Easter and some exciting things on the horizon that we want you to know about. So looking forward to a great time together tonight. Um, as we fellowship. But now we want to focus our attention on the Word of God and hear from the Lord this morning from James chapter 5, verse 1 through 6. So let me read this text for us, and then we'll get started together this morning as we heed God's Word. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, as we open up the book of James, Lord, we are so grateful for your word. Every word of Scripture, Lord, words of Scripture that are encouraging and comforting to the soul, but Lord, also your words that challenge us and convict us and expose sin. And Father, we know that as we've been walking through James, we have seen both types of Scriptures, Scriptures that are wonderfully balms to our souls, and Lord, a lot of words that have challenged us and have caused us to uh, see sin in our hearts and our lives that need to be repented of. But Lord, we are thankful for your word nonetheless. And Father, as we look at this difficult passage from James, this rebuke, Lord, to the unbelieving rich, Father, we pray that in our own hearts, in our own lives, with our own finances, Lord, that we would be sure to consider how the gospel is changing the way that we consider our relationship with our money. And Father, that above all, where there is sin in our lives, Father, that you would help all of us to flee to Christ for comfort, for hope, for, for, for eternity, Lord, in terms of his love and grace and mercy that he pours out upon us. So, Father, we pray for your blessing on the preaching of your word. And, Lord, may your wor my words this morning, Lord, be used by you to build up and encourage your church and to save those who are lost. And it's in Christ's name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen. So, have you ever seen a family ripped apart by money? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. As a pastor, I've seen such occasions happen often when a loved one typically passes away because money tends, not always, but tends to bring out the worst in people, particularly among siblings. So when a wealthy parent dies, you can normally bet that there will be an all-out legal war between the siblings over who gets what piece of the pie however big that pie might be. And I've seen it so many times, how wealth and covetousness can turn people that are family against one another. Before long, lawyers get involved, siblings stop speaking to one another. It just gets really nasty really fast. But yet there is nothing new under the sun, right? Nothing new under the sun. 
And as Jesus one time addressed this pernicious problem that comes from the distribution of an estate. So in Luke chapter 12, Jesus had someone from the crowd bring up this issue, bring up this concern. He, he told Jesus, he said, teacher, my, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And I'm sure he hoped Jesus would say, all right, well, you need to share, right? <laughs> Same lesson I tell my children, you need, to, you need to share. And so he was hoping Jesus would tell his brother to share. After all, that seems like the generous thing to do, the right thing to do. But Jesus, again, so often subverts our expectations. He doesn't do that. And instead of rebuking this person's brother, Jesus rebukes the man who asked the question. And Jesus warns him, he says, take care and be on guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so Jesus then goes to tell him a parable, the parable of the rich fool. Maybe it's one you're familiar with. And in this parable, Jesus tells it, he says, there's a rich man who enjoys a plentiful harvest, so much so that he couldn't store all of the crops that came in from the harvest in his barns. And so the man gets this idea, and he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tear down my existing barns, and I'm going to instead build larger barns so I could fit more of these crops and then the man gets the idea to do that, and he hopes that as he stores up enough grains, enough goods in his barns, then he can lay back, and he can rest, he can relax, he can eat, drink, and be merry, and enjoy the abundance of his possessions. He wants to accumulate so much wealth that he can then enjoy a life of self-indulgence and leisure. But Jesus, as he tells the parable, says, the Lord says, God says to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? And Jesus concludes the parable with this principle. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You know, as I was preparing for this passage from James chapter 5, verse 1 through 6, my first gut initial thought, this is honest to the Lord here, I'm a pastor after all, and we're in, in church, right? So my first thought as I was reading James 5 and preparing for this sermon, my gut thought was, another passage about money? <laughs> that was my thought. Because the Bible just seems to talk so frequently about money that it kind of makes us squirm a little bit. It makes me squirm. But yet our, our pocketbooks tend to rival our tongues in terms of being the most direct and visible expression of what's going on in our hearts. And so James's words here are needed words, words we need to hear because we live in a country of unprecedented material wealth. I don't think we always realize how blessed we are to live in this day and time, in this day and age, in this place, in this land. Never in the history of the world has there been one country that has enjoyed such times of affluence and leisure like there has been in the last United States these last several decades. And so thus, because we live in this culture, because we're surrounded by this American culture in which we live, we've become expert barn architects, right? We've learned how to build barns and to build bigger ones. We're good at it. And the wealth and money that we've accumulated we keep storing and storing and storing. And so wealth and money, as we look at it biblically, wealth and money are neutral, right? They can be used for righteousness or they can be used for sin. But we tend, because of our sinful natures and our hearts, right? We tend, as general humanity, to manage our wealth with motivations of greed, leisure, and self-indulgence. That's tend to be the way that our default position as human beings in terms of our understanding of our money. And so as James writes these verses in verse 1 through 6 here in chapter 5, he is primarily addressing non-Christian people. He's addressing unbelievers. This is very similar to the sort of prophetic rebuke against the pagan nations that you would find in the Old Testament prophets. In fact, it, it sounds kind of similar. James writes some words here, and these are scathing, harsh words, aren't they? They're words of judgment about wealth and power. 
particularly these wealthy and powerful agricultural owners in the first century that took advantage of the poor. Many of those poor that were in the the churches that James is writing to. So after all, even even the poorest among us have a lot to learn here from James. So this passage is a harsh rebuke. Again, it's directed primarily to the unbelieving rich, but there is much that we as followers of Jesus can learn about the folly of living for wealth and possessions. There's a lot you and I can learn here as we listen into this rebuke against the unbelieving rich. Because after all, even, even the poorest among us, right? Even those of us that have little, we are still some of the wealthiest human beings in human history. And we can easily get caught up, whether we're rich or whether we're poor, we can easily get caught up with the foolishness of materialism and greed that so often dominates our culture. And if we're not careful, we Christians, we followers of Jesus, we who are living for the kingdom of Christ can become unintended master architects and joining the world and assembling bigger and bigger barns. That's a skill you don't want to become proficient in, right? So let's hear these words of James humbly as we listen to James' rebuke of the unbelieving, wealthy, and powerful. So in James 5, 1 through 6, he's warning the rich of the fleeting foolishness of living for possessions, and he rebukes the rich for using their wealth and their power to oppress other people, particularly the poor. Because those who live for money and stuff, James says, you're going to one day find it all burned up, all gone. And then, James says, you will experience the judgment and the wrath of God at the end of the age. And so James shows us, helps us as believers, as we look on his rebuke against these unbelieving rich, he helps us see that we, as Christians, we have to have an eternal perspective when it comes to our wallets. And as James shows us the folly of living for stuff, I hope that we will come as Christians, as believers in Jesus, to see the surpassing treasure and value of Christ. So in sum, here's the sermon summary for this morning. Do not love worldly treasure, which corrodes away, but instead cling to the eternal treasure of Christ. Do not love the worldly treasure, the stuff of this world, the possessions of this world, the finances of this world, the stock portfolios of this world. Don't love that. After all, it's all going to to corrode. It's all going to disappear. It's all going to burn up. But instead, cling to a treasure that is eternal, that is forever, that will last, the treasure of Christ. So as we think through this passage together, let's first observe this morning that first principle there that worldly treasure corrodes away. We see this in verse 1 through 3 of the text before us. So as chapter 5 opens, James specifically addresses the rich. And as he does, he is not categorically rebuking all wealthy people or all rich people or riches in and of themselves. James is not saying, all right, we got to be careful here because we don't want to miss misunderstanding. He is not saying that having money is by default sinful. It's not what he's doing. But rather, as we pay a careful attention to the, the context of the passage, we see that James is speaking specifically to those not who have riches, but those who live for riches. There's a big difference there, right? Those who live for riches... And not just those who are living for riches, but those who are oppressing other people in order to gain more riches. After all, as 1 Timothy 6.10 tells us, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's who James has in his crosshairs in terms of this passage. So as James writes these words, he describes quite vividly, right? Look at verse 1, the weeping and howling that the rich will have at the end of the age. James is telling us that at the coming judgment, there will be a great reversal that is coming, that those who have it all now will end up having nothing at the end of the age. When it comes to wealth, we have to have this sort of eternal perspective. So we so easily find ourselves, don't we, allured with our possessions the shine and the glimmer of new things. 
know, we can so easily get caught up with our identity and our stuff that we buy, you know, the brands that we attach ourselves to. But all of this is, is foolishness, isn't it? It's all transient. It's all temporary. All of this, James is reminding us, all of this stuff that we put such value in will one day burn up at the end of the age. So there's, there's this inherent foolishness, this folly of barn building, of accumulating more and more stuff. And as Christians, we've got to be so mindful that, of this danger, of this proclivity, of this temptation, because we can't fall into this trap. This trap that so many of our age do, thinking that this world is all there is, carpe diem, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die, right? Life is short, but life is short, but there is a life to come, right? And as Christians, we believe this, we know this, that life is brief. These few decades that we have on this earth will come and go in a blink of the eye, and when they do, eternity awaits you and it awaits me after death. So what that means is, is that what we do in these brief decades that we have on earth, they, they matter. They matter because we will spend our lives on the rat race treadmill of material accumulation, or we will instead see our resources as tools to be made to make an eternal investment. Which way do you think about your finances? Are you on that treadmill of material accumulation, acquiring more and more and more, or do you see the money that God has given you as a tool to make an eternal investment? You see, the unbelieving rich will find themselves howling at the end of the age because they've trusted their wealth, their power, their status. That is what they're trusting in. And all of that, James says, is going to be stripped away. All of it's going to be gone when, when King Jesus comes back. These signs of their opulent power and prestige and privilege, all of that's going to be gone. So in James's day, the, the way that you establish yourself on the social hierarchy was three ways. There are three ways to flaunt your wealth, if you will. There was your food, there was your clothing, and there were your jewelry. Your food, your clothing, your jewelry. And notice that James mentions how all three of those are going to be gone on the last day. You see what he says here? Look, verse 2, your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, right? What does James say? Well, your food that you love, that you love to eat and be self-indulgent in, that's all going to rot, not going to be there anymore. The clothes that you flaunt, your, your wealth and your privilege and your status as you walk about town, well, all that's going to be eaten by moths. You're not going to have that anymore. The gold and silver that you've piled up is going to corrode and disappear, right? Everything, James says, that you are trusting in, you unbelieving rich, everything you're devoting your lives for, all of that is going to be taken away. And not only will it be taken away, but it will be used as evidence against you before the courts of God's righteous judgment. You see, instead of using their gold and their silver, their wealth, to meet the needs of others and investing it into Christ's eternal kingdom, instead, they're accumulating larger and larger piles of stuff that will one day just corrode. And everything that they trusted in, everything they've worked for, everything they've built their lives around, James says it's all going to be taken away, and that mountain of ash that you've been accumulating will be used as evidence against you. You see, instead of using their gold for, for serving others, they're using it for themselves. And that pile of cash that they've built their lives around will one day corrode, leaving behind the damning evidence, the undeniable proof that they deserve the fi flesh-eating fires of hell. And those are harsh words that James gives, but they're words that need to be heard. And as Christians, as we, we have to be on guard against this temptation, right, of hoarding wealth of hoarding wealth. Though James isn't speaking against wise planning and saving to care for yourself and family, James wouldn't say there's anything wrong with that. It's good to be prudent. It's good to be wise. It's good to be a good steward of the resources that the Lord has given you. This is a wise and biblical thing to do, but James is forcing us to ask the hard question, when is enough enough? When is enough enough? When does my saving 
become hoarding? When have I crossed the line of being a good steward of my wealth to being a hoarder of my wealth? You see, I I can't be the Holy Spirit for you and answer that question. But it's a question I think that James in this passage is, is forcing us to consider. Has my heart come to trust in my riches rather than in Christ? And do you recognize, right? Do you you believe what James is saying here, that your worldly treasures will rust away? Do you believe that at the end, all will be taken, that the end is coming? And James gives us a warning, doesn't he here? Right, Right here. You have laid up treasures in the last days, he says in verse three. As we consider the management of our money, we should seek to invest as much as possible and to Christ and his kingdom. And we have to see our dollars ultimately as transient and temporary. They're not going to last. They're not going to be here. We can't take it with us. As the old adage goes, there's no U-Haul on the back of hearses, right? And it's just not, it's not the way we do it. You can't take it to the grave. And because we can't take it with us, we can't be fools and finding our hearts and our attention, our loves, obsessively concerned about our stuff. After all, greed tends to snowball into a consuming passion and idolatry. Again, we've read a little bit from Ecclesiastes already this morning, but Ecclesiastes helps us see the vanity of riches and wealth. Ecclesiastes 5.10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. It's easy, right, to find ourselves. It's find ourselves consumed with, with raising our economic status of of seeing ourselves pursuing the pursuit of vanity and of accumulating wealth. As Christians, we, we, it's easy for us to drift into this sort of mindset. And as Christians, we have to see our wealth not as opportunities to be self-indulgent, but as opportunities to steward our money for the kingdom of Christ. That's the way, that's the mindset we ought to have as we consider the money that the Lord has entrusted us with. And we have to see our money in that way, right? We have, we have to make that explicit. The Lord has entrusted you with his money. That's the way to think about it. Again, I think a lot of believers get that wrong and they get caught up in percentages and how much do I need to give and all these sorts of things. But no, all of God's money is God's money. Right? You are a steward. It's not just 10% of that money is his and the rest is you to do whatever you want with. No, all of it is God's money. We've got to see God as the owner of it all, and we instead are but stewards. All of my money, everything I have, is ultimately God's. And so then, with this mindset as believers, we ask the question, desiring to honor our king, we don't ask the question, how much do I have to give? But instead, the question becomes, how much do I need to keep? Those are two very different questions. The generosity of God's grace will make us overflowing with generosity to others as we sow and invest in the kingdom of Christ. So let me encourage us all today, right, to to cut back in self-indulgence so that we can be more generous to God. We'll talk a little bit more about self-indulgence in the second half of the passage. But in our financial planning, let us steward our funds in such a way that our money reflects kingdom priorities. And again, this is not just for wealthy people to think about this, but those of us who are only scraping by. Take a careful look at your monthly expenses or even keeping up with your monthly expenses, right? Keep up with them. Be a good steward. Know where your dollars are going. And ask yourself the question, am I only scraping by due to little income because I don't make a lot? Or am I only scraping by because my budget is filled with selfish indulgence, unnecessary purchases, brands that I don't need, always eating out, constantly focusing on my entertainment. Look at your budget and prayerfully ask the Lord, in what ways can I cut back on that which is unnecessary so that I can be more generous towards God? Because if the Lord has blessed you abundantly financially, then the Lord has given you a wonderful opportunity to provide, to invest yourself into his kingdom. So don't fall into the trap of the unbelieving rich, of of hoarding money and lifestyles and and, and lifestyle creep. Live, Live simply, right? Live simply, live plainly. And as your wealth accumulates through your good stewardship, pray about ways that you can use your wealth not to be self-indulgent, 
but to invest in kingdom work. After all, as James tells us, our wealth will one day corrode. It'll be gone. So use your wealth today for God's purposes. And as you do that, then the investment that you're making today for God's kingdom will bring eternal dividends. Dividends to such an extent that Wall Street can't keep up with, right? After all, Wall Street will shut down. Stock portfolios will cease. But that which we sow, that which we invest into kingdom work today carries over into fruitfulness into eternity. Overall, it's been so encouraging to see how generous you as a body have been as a congregation to the Lord in Redemption Church. Because if it weren't for you members and your, your generosity, then Redemption Church wouldn't be here, right? It takes, it takes money, it takes funds to, to, we don't have doors, but if we did, to keep them open, right? We got office doors now, it takes money to do that. But you know, it takes, takes money to operate a church and to focus on these ministries and to do this together. And so your generosity, your investment into Christ's kingdom has helped us to do just that. However, there is much more that we want to do very soon, including finding a permanent place to meet together. We love CCS, but, you know, I hasten the day where I don't have to set up chairs anymore, right? That'd be a great day. And so we want to find that place of permanence of worship to help us establish ourselves in the community. And if that's going to happen, and we pray the Lord helps that happen, it's going to require even more generosity from this body, from our members to help make that happen. So let me encourage you to, to listen to James's words here and to keep investing, keep sowing, keep investing into God's work here through Redemption Church. And if the Lord leads you, increase your offerings to the church. If the Lord leads you to give above and beyond, then, then give to our building fund to help us make that happen. But let's show the world through our giving, through our generosity, where our true treasure lies and that our treasure is Jesus Christ. But above all, we have to really heed James's warning here. Don't fall into the wisdom of this world that the unbelieving rich so often ensnare themselves with. It will all burn up in the end. It's all going to be gone. So invest your wealth now so that you might support the advancement of God's mission. Give faithfully to your church. Give faithfully to missionaries. Give faithfully to the causes of church planning. Support other Christian organizations that are about the work of the Great Commission. Invest in them financially because you don't want to lay up treasures in the last days only to find it burned up, as James warns. But rather, with open heart and with open hands, give generously, sacrificially to the cause of Christ. And that leads to the second aspect of James I want to highlight for us, is that judgment will come to the oppressors. Judgment will come to the oppressors. Throughout the history of humanity, wealth has often brought individuals great power. Wealth and power often go hand in hand. And recurrently throughout human history, those who have wealth have power, and that those who have power tend to oppress the poor. And as James writes this scathing rebuke against the unbelieving rich, he, he rebukes them for their injustice of their oppression of the poor, which no doubt includes the Christian believers to whom James is, is writing. Let's read what's going on here in verse 4. Look at what James says. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. What seems to be going on? What's, what, what is the practice that James seems to be rebuking here amongst these unbelieving, wealthy agricultural owners? Well, what would happen is that they would invite others to come and work for them and to help harvest their crops. But yet, as the wealth of these agricultural farm owners increased, they would often fail to pay those who come out and work for the day, or they would delay their payment. Oh, I'll pay you later, right? And this was no minor thing in those days. Because after all, if you didn't get paid at the end of the days of work, you didn't have anything to eat that night. It was, it was that serious. And so these wealthy farmers would oppress their workers. They would hold back wages, failing to give them the wage that they've earned, that they've deserved, that they said that they would be paid, while these wealthy farm owners would gather up their harvested crops and enjoy the luxury and self-indulgence of their possessions. 
This is what James is, is rebuking here, this sort of oppression of the poor by these wealthy farmers. But yet James reminds them, these farmers, and he reminds us today that the Lord hears the cries of the oppressed. Right? No one else might hear them. Other people might suppress them. But the Lord hears the cries of the oppressed. James says, you know, behold, the wage of the laborers whom you mow down, which you have kept back by fraud, what are they doing? They're crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. The Lord hears, the Lord knows. Nothing is hidden from his omniscience, his judgment, his sight, his understanding. And those who use their wealth and their power to oppress other people, James says they will find themselves under the wrath and judgment of God who defends the cause of the lowly. God will bring swift judgment, James says, at the end of the age. So today, these wealthy agricultural, these wealthy farm owners, they, they lived in luxury and self-indulgence, but look at what James says. It says they're actually only fattening themselves up for the day of slaughter. Look at verse 5. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Judgment is coming, James says. Judgment is coming. The blood that they've spilt in murder, oppressing the poor, will cause their blood to be spilled. Every little child that died because he failed to pay his father to work in the field that day, they will be held accountable before God for the blood that these oppressors have spilt. Like the blood of Abel crying out to the Lord, the shouts of these oppressed workers will cry out to the Lord. And the Lord will hear those cries. And these unbelieving, wealthy oppressors, these people who exercise injustice, they will be condemned by God on that day. And though, even though James is speaking here to the unbelieving rich, those who use their wealth for power and to oppress and murder others, I think there are two applications here that we have to camp out on in terms of our own wealth as followers of Jesus. And the first is this warning against self-indulgence, which we've talked about a little bit already, right? The warning against self-indulgence. We have to be, be careful about this because we live in a culture that is constantly urging us to regular consumption. In fact, you could argue our whole economy is built around that idea, right? We got to consume, got to get stuff, got to buy that shirt, got to buy that phone, got to buy that laptop, got to get that food, right? We, I mean, it's all about getting stuff. We want to indulge our appetites. We want to have it our way, right? All of advertising is built around this idea that you need to consume, 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 consume. And so we hear this all the time from commercials on TV to ads on Facebook to the junk we get in the mail. If you happen to still get junk in the mail, right? We're all being urged to buy things, to enjoy, to indulge, to eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die, right? That's the attitude that so often is undergirding so much of our advertisement. And as Christians, we have to, we have to reject that, that mindset, that impulse, that inclination. We have to reject these consumeristic temptations to succumb to self-indulgence. You know, as believers, there, there are, of course, wonderful times of feasting, of celebration, of indulgence, like on a holiday or a birthday or an anniversary, right? Those are good, good times to feast and eat and drink and celebrate, right? There are times when which it is good to indulge. But in general, the Christian life should not be characterized by indulgence. As one pastor said, there are times to feast and lavish our loved ones, but a life of conspicuous consumption, delicate, soft luxury is not Christian. Do not be fooled by the evangelistic gigolos who tell eager ears, you are children of the king, live like it. Right? This, this attitude, this mindset can so often infiltrate even our own Christian ways of thinking about wealth and money. There are times and seasons of celebration, of weddings, of birthdays in which it's good to indulge and enjoy God's good world that he has given us. But again, we have to be careful that we're not drifting into this overtly consumeristic mindset in which we're seeking and pursuing some sort of soft life of luxury. It's not what we should be pursuing as Christians. It's what these wealthy landowners are doing. They're, they're 
managing their, their funds, their farms, oppressing workers in such a way so that they can enjoy the self-indulgence of their riches. And James warns, this is a deadly mindset to have. So there's this warning against self-indulgence, but there's also a warning here in these last few verses about dishonesty and financial management, about dishonesty and financial management. This is another warning here that we have to pay attention to from these unbelieving rich that are going to be judged at the end of the day. Hey, she says that there's this importance of treating others fairly and honesty when it comes to money. We want to be fair. We want to be honest. Whether we are a business owner that has hundreds of employees or whether we just pay someone to cut our grass during the summer, we have to manage our money with integrity and we have to pay labor to whom labor is due, right? We have to be, be honest about that. A Christian businessman or woman always does their payroll on time. It's never late. She gives a fair and honest wage to her workers as promised. So a Christian man or woman should treat other people, other workers, other laborers with fairness and equity. We should honor the Lord in the way we manage our funds and in which the way we manage our businesses. God forbid, right, that we as believers in Jesus Christ would oppress those who are poor with the power of our wealth. May we be unlike the unbelieving rich who take advantage of others. Instead, as Christian believers, may we care for our employees. May we not just do the bare minimum for their care, but may we be as generous as we can be so that they can live with, with a livable wage that cares for their needs. Again, we don't want to be like these self-indulgent wealthy landowners that were all about just earning more and more for themselves at the expense of others. As Christians, we can't have that mindset in the way we conduct business. Christians, we should let love and generosity be our guide in terms of how we manage our funds, how we pay our employee, how we run our businesses, how we make decisions that impact other laborers. And so we see that James warns that it will be the judgment of God that will fall upon those who live for wealth and who use their wealth to oppress others. So if you're, if you're not a Christian this morning, we are, we are so glad that you are here to worship with us this morning. But there's a warning for you as well as there is for us that if you're not a Christian, you have to, you have to be warned this morning. With the same urgency that James is warning you, don't, don't live for possessions and for money. It is an idol that this culture is convincing you to pursue, but it's an idol that will not satisfy you. And it's an idol that will only bring judgment upon your soul. It's easy. It's so easy to get caught up in that, that rat race of acquiring more and more stuff. But, but here, listen to James' prophetic rebuke and his warning today. Do not trust in the vanity of riches. Do not put your faith in your possessions, in your bank account, in your mutual funds. All of that will be gone in a moment's notice when the trumpet sounds and Christ returns. All of it will be gone at the end of the age. So if you don't know Jesus, I want you to see from, from James's words this morning that it is foolishness to put your trust in stuff. And I urge you as I urge all of us in this room to trust in a treasure that is more precious, more worthy, and more lasting. And that leads to a third point I want to stress for us to admit this day, is to cling to the treasure of Christ. Cling to the treasure of Christ. This is so important as we think about the foolishness of earthly treasures, how they're going to corrode and go away. We want to cling instead to a better treasure, an eternal treasure. We want to cling to Christ because we can so easily be seduced by these alluring treasures of the world as Christians. And as believers in Jesus, we have to discover Christ as all the more beautiful and all the more precious to your soul. Indeed, if you, if you hope to break your heart's grip on the frivolous and temporal stuff on your life, if you want to break from that shackle, from that bondage, then the answer is to find your heart gripped by one who is more beautiful and who is more precious and who is more lovely. James is warning to the rich, as firm and as scathing as it is. It helps us, right? It helps us to awaken us to this reality, right? That the worldly possessions, they're ultimately rubbish. They're nothing. It's just stuff. It's here today, gone tomorrow. So compared to the, the value of Christ, 
the worth of Christ, worldly possessions, comparatively so, I mean, they're, they're nothing. We're squat. And as Christians then, as believers in Jesus, who have seen the loveliness of Christ based off of what he's done for us upon the cross, we will forsake them. We'll leave behind the corroding, worthless treasures of this world for the far greater treasure who is Jesus Christ. We will love to do that. We will enjoy. Jesus is that pearl of great price, that treasure that is hidden in the field. This is Jesus. And if you were around this past fall, you'll remember we, we went through the book of Philippians. And one of my favorite selections from Philippians is when Paul shows us the all-consuming beauty and worth of Christ in Philippians 3, verse 7 through 8. Here's what, here's what Paul says. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. I love that mindset, that heart. I want to ha- think about my stuff, my wealth, my possessions in the same way Paul thought about his own. That Christ is of such surpassing value that that worldly treasure, by comparison, just looks like garbage. The only way to break your heart from the allurement of stuff is to behold the beauty and glory of Christ in your hearts and your souls. Only, only when your heart is captivated by him does everything else begin to come into perspective. And if you're a Christian this morning and and you feel that your heart is sluggish, distracted, burdened by wealth and stuff and the concerns of this world, then then remember today the comparative worth of Christ. Remember how more beautiful, more captivating is that that compared to your, your gadgets, compared to your car, compared to your bank account, compared to your home, Jesus is of surpassing worth and value. Because in Jesus is salvation. In Jesus is grace and forgiveness and love. So behold him, look to him, stand in awe of Jesus. And as you do, you will find that the the grip of possessions on your heart will begin to loosen as your heart becomes gripped by the beauty of Jesus. And if you're not a Christian, I hope that that James has awakened you to the foolishness of trusting in stuff, that money and wealth, as we've seen throughout the book of James, that they're a spiritual liability. They're a spiritual handicap. They will not satisfy your soul. Earthly treasures that they promise security, they promise happiness, they promise satisfaction, they promise contentment, but they just don't deliver. They just don't. But Christ this morning, if you don't know Jesus, Christ this morning is extending to you his grace and his love, which is of surpassing value. And if you would but repent of your sin this morning and trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you will not only escape the fires of judgment to come, but instead you will receive an inheritance from the Lord that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you by the power of the Spirit. You see, James has forced us to encounter this morning a lot of hard questions, a lot of painful questions, self-reflective questions, questions that you have to ask, questions that I have to ask. Do I hoard my money? Am I over-accumulating my wealth? Am I defrauding or not treating my employees with fairness and equity? Am I deceitful in my management? Am I self-indulgent in my personal budget? Am I trusting in my possessions? Or am I using my money in a way that shows the world that Christ is my ultimate treasure? Have I been seduced by the siren song of materialism and consumerism in my culture? Or have I become gripped by the beauty and value of Christ as the all-surpassing treasure of my soul? My hope this morning 
is that all of us would heed James's warning about the foolishness of riches and living for them, and that we would all come to see Christ as the all the more beautiful and surpassing treasure of our souls. Let me pray for us. Father, we come this morning so aware, Lord, of how wealth and money and possessions can so easily entangle our hearts and grip it. Father, I know, you know this is a temptation for all of us. And Father, I pray, Lord, for those of us who, who know Jesus, Lord, that we would recognize the foolishness of living for wealth, of hoarding money, And Lord, that instead that we would become so captivated by the beauty of Jesus, see him of such surpassing worth that we would gladly see our money not as something to live for, but to generously use for the advancement of your kingdom. And Lord, I pray that as as believers, that your spirit would help us in understanding and giving us the wisdom and learning how to do that specifically, Lord, with our own finances. But Father, we want to display to the world, Lord, that our wealth ultimately isn't our treasure, that we don't find our status based off of our income, but Lord, that we find our status in Christ and in Christ alone, who has come into this world, who has laid down his life, who has become the sin bearer so that I might receive his righteousness as my own. And Father, it's in light of my identity in Christ that I find worth and significance It's in the status of Jesus that he's given to me by his grace. And so therefore, my money has no hold over my life anymore. Father, I pray that you would help us to see the foolishness of riches, of living for wealth. Help us to see that we'll all corrode away. And Lord, for those who don't know Christ, Lord, who who have so easily drifted into this mindset of wealth and possessions for satisfaction and joy, Lord, help them to recognize from James's words, not just how they don't satisfy, but Lord, that they only bring judgment when we live for wealth. Father, I pray, Lord, that those who don't know Jesus, Lord, that they would flee from the condemnation of their sin, but Lord, that they would look to Jesus, that they would turn from their sins and trust in Jesus by faith, that they would repent and believe in Christ so that they might be saved, so they might have eternal life, or so they might know the love and the value of Christ above all else. Spirit, as we respond to your word this morning, we pray that you would come and meet with us. Lord, where there is sin in our life, lead us to conviction. Lord, where there is a need to be obedient, Lord, give us the strength to obey. But Lord, above all, in all our failures and all our weaknesses and all our sins, may we find our rest and trust in Christ alone this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.